Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. Appreciate so much you being here. Thanks again for you guys watching. We're honored that you're here. We've been talking through a series over the last few weeks uh, that deal with this, this idea of rumor. And I think that in light of that, we started week one talking about being careful what you hear. You know, it uh, goes without saying, we've heard it since we were young, be careful what you say, what you speak. But I think you really have to be careful of the things that you allow to traipse through your mind because they absolutely do gauge your faith. The things that you hear, you materialize in your life, you begin to believe them, and then they begin to control your steps, what ultimately uh, has eternal ramifications uh, attached to them. So I think it's important that you, number one, be careful who you allow to speak into your life. I think that when we think about counsel, we think that's a good thing, right? But just just know that sometimes we're just getting opinions. We want to be sure to measure that or filter that through godly counsel, godly advice. Um, and then we talked the second week, kind of calling the enemy out, if you will. If you can get a chance to watch that, go back and watch it last week. Calling the enemy out for who he is. He's a liar. The Bible says he's the great deceiver. And he's the father of what? All lies, anything that is a falsehood derives from and, and originates in him. So if you're feeling something in your life predicated on what you've heard or what someone's told you or some little thing, little innuendo and that's been spoken into your life and you've allowed that to materialize, I love what Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, told his son. He said, above all, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of your life. If you begin to think something, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. And so it helps us to understand that the sum total of the things that we've seen, we've done, the turns in our life, the mishaps, the good, bad, and the ugly, really becomes somewhat of the epicenter of who we are, how we believe, and how we appropriate Scripture. Today, I want to shine a light on perhaps one of the, the biggest rumor mills, the place where rumors originate, and that is that with media and social media outlets that those things, as it were, that one day was a, a kind of a part of America um, culture, the uh, guy standing out on the front of, say, the streets of New York, and here he, here he, he's talking all these different things, and he's declared these papers are ready, the paper boy, all this stuff. I remember as a kid, I used to sell uh, newspaper prescriptions back in the day. I used to sell those. I don't even know how they do that now. And uh, what you read in the paper, you, you pretty much took at face value. And, and quite frankly, I, I think you were probably, for the most part, fair to do so. Today, as I've looked into this idea of media outlets and the control thereof, I've, I've, I've begun to question everything that I read. Anybody else agree to that? Everything I see, everything I hear. I, listen, if I even see it with my own eyes now on television, I still question it. And I think we should. I think we need to be those who question things, Right to be students of, of God's word, uh, to know that if God has said something that's true, it's declared, it's efficient, it's not going to change. And uh, what he meant then is what he means today. And uh, I think the church needs to echo that sentiment on and on. But in the past two years, our lives have been truly dominated by headlines. Our lives have been inundated with words like virus and pandemic. Uh, the worst is yet to come another variant found. Uh, things like um, you must get vaccinated and then you pick up another paper, pick up another page and another angle, do not get vaccinated. Uh, then it's the, the variant 
uh, it's coming, got to get another booster. You don't want to get a booster. I mean, all these things, just in light of the pandemic alone, has inundated our, our minds. And, and fear, unfortunately, has ensued. Fear has become the product of that. And, and first, I want to I just kind of speak this openly to you because I think it's important that we understand it. Don't believe everything you see and read. Okay, don't do that because it's a perspective. And we're going to talk about godly perspective in a moment. But understand that everything you see, in fact, even the headlines are not always uh, what they appear to be. In fact, I want to share a few of those with you. False headlines, as it were, things that were purported in news media outlets. In 1903, this was one of the headlines, and it was quoted by the president of Michigan Savings Bank advising Henry Ford's lawyer, Henry Ford's lawyer, not to invest in the motor company. Here's what he said. The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty and a fad. Man, he missed that one, right? In fact, Henry Ford later said in his one of his uh, memoirs, he said, if I would have given people what they asked for, I would have given them faster horses. Aren't you glad he gave us the automobile? 1977, another false narrative that came out is there is no reason for any individual to have a computer in his own home. Ken Olson said, the chairman of, at that time, the largest digital equipment corporation. Now, I'm going to offer you a caveat here. What he was saying was, is there's no chance that that's going to happen. I don't know that I disagree with him so much now, right? That there's really no reason for it. I mean, there's some good in it. There's some good in computers and, and the research behind it. And again, it goes like with anything else. It's all a, a matter of, of, of principle and how you lay it out, the framework of it. I do, however, say this to you, and I said this last week, if the computer has begun to defame your home and the internet, the pornography or whatever may come through that, can I tell you something? You need to go back to this guy's premise. You need to get rid of it, okay? You need to get rid of whatever that conduit is that has brought you to a place of, of living out a life that is contrary to God's will for you. 1995, one of them says, the truth is, no online database, it was the internet, as it were, but he didn't know what to call it at the time, it didn't have a name, will replace your daily newspaper, said Newsweek article writer Clifford, Clifford Stoll. There's no way that people will stop buying physical newspapers and swap that or change that for what they see on the computer. And guys, we're living in that day for sure. There's two others, I think, that really stand out in history as I, I find to be very ironic when we think about time and even how things would begin to unfold in the moment. Again, when you see a headline, you can't just say, hey, that is, is doctrine. That is truth, right? And, and April 12th, 19, I'm sorry, April 15th, 1912, this was the headline in the world news that said, Titanic is sinking. Good news, though. No lives are lost. They had to come back and print one the next day that says 600 and something lives, and then a few weeks later, 1,524 lives lost. But not everything you see can be taken at face value. 1948, the presidential election. This was the headlines in the Chicago Daily Tribune. Dewey defeats Truman. And you're sitting there going, who is Dewey? The reason you don't know who Dewey is is because he did not defeat Truman. Truman became the president of the United States, and ironically, he held up that same article kind of to poke fun at Dewey. Dewey did not win. That's why you don't know who Dewey is. And that's why you can't believe and accept everything that you see or hear. Can I tell you something? This has not just been going on since 1902, 1903. This has been going on since the fall. Satan is a liar. And, and from his MO, his main modus operandi, if you will, the way in which he operates is this. Even telling us half-truths, think about how he deceived Eve. 
telling our half-truths, declaring half-truths, questioning that which God said. Remember what God told Eve? He said, in the moment that you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will what? Surely die. And then what did the enemy say? Surely you won't die. He kind of turned it around and played into her disbelief. Why do I tell you that? Because guys, even in the context of today with false doctrine, false teachings, I say this to our church all the time, but I think it goes worth saying again. You don't take anything that anyone tells you at face value. You say, Mark, are you even including yourself? I'm absolutely including myself. What I think you need to do is you need to get your copy of God's word. You need to meditate on it day and night. You need to memorize it. You need to study it. You need to read it. Listen, for example, our reading Bible in a year is not just so at the end of that we can take a big picture and put it on Facebook and go, hey, 27 people finished reading in a year. Listen, the world doesn't care about that. The reason we're doing that is so that you can hide God's word in your heart and that you can call it back when that time is needed. I can't tell you how many times I've read Bible studies or done a devotion only to think I was bringing it for someone else for a teaching moment for God to bring it full circle for me to be able to recall that to a time that it was needed to be called forth. In fact, I remember a time when I read the Bible, maybe you've been there, and when I read something and I was more confused than before I opened it, right? I read it, I was like, I don't even know what that means. And I closed it up only for maybe a few days or a week or a month later for me to go through something and watch this. God called that verse back to my memory and translate it to a way that I understood it. And it's, called, it's because God's word will not return void. You have to get in it. You have to, listen, I know we live in a world where we have it on our digital device and, and that's fine. I do it because I can't, I can't see the written words anymore on paper, but that, that's fine. But I want you to get into it. I want you to marinate on it. Pastor Cody and I were talking. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. There's a lot of our kids today that I'm hearing this. I hear this more and more often that young people are having night terrors at a young age. They're having bad dreams and, and, and nightmares, as it were. Even seeing things that you don't even know how they can describe what it is they're seeing and maybe even discounting it. Don't discount that, parent. First of all, a couple of things you need to understand. One is if you're allowing um, movies that, that talk about, that describe, that show, portray uh, demonic activity, movies that talk about exorcisms, movies that, that talk about uh, hauntings and things of that nature, possessions. Can I tell you something? You are inviting that into your home. You have to be careful. You have to be mindful of the fact that you are the gatekeeper to your home. And, and if you allow that stuff in there, and I know people don't want to talk about the demonic, they don't want to give credence to it, but I want to tell you something. You had better recognize it for what it is so that you'll know how to fight it and to quench the darts of the enemy in that evil day. Okay, because if you invite it in, make no mistake about it, the enemy will walk in. And on the contrary, not just not inviting it in, you have to stop it from coming in. You, let me tell you something. You read the word of God over your home. You read it in your children's room. If they're having a tough time sleeping, best thing you can do is download the Abide app and let the Abide app speak, speak the word of God over their home. Pastor Cody said, man, that thing's amazing. I've been listening to it. It absolutely works. Stephanie downloaded it for me some time ago, a year or two years ago. Uh, I was just having t- trouble sleeping, all these things going through my mind. And just how the word, I'd say, put on the Abide app. And she'd put it on and I would just sleep and, oh, I'd snore good, y'all. It was amazing. Because it's just that rest when you can rest into God's word. And then furthermore, and I'll kind of use this as our jumping off point. <clears throat> Why does this matter? Because there is an absolute truth. The world is, is wanting you and I to believe this idea of relativism. That it's true if you accept it as truth. Or, or better yet, when you read the word of God, people say, well, what it means to me is, 
and then we fill it in. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what it means to you. What matters is what he meant, what he said, and that's what he still stands on today. And, and furthermore, I think what we have to understand is that the reason that when a guy comes to our, a guy or a girl comes to our home to propagate a lie about some other world religion, the reason we're inferior and feel a little awkward about confronting that is because the world knows the lie better than the church knows the truth. And the only way we can know the truth is to know the person of truth, the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you know the truth, what? The truth will set you free. Y'all come on and give Jesus the truth bearer a big hand. In fact, Jude chapter one, verse 11 says it this way. It says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered into the saints. I love that word, diligent. And, and I'll just say this. I said it in the first service. It seemed to go by pretty good, so I'll say it again. I think we live in one of the most entitled cultures that we have ever seen in the history of America, where people just feel that they're simply entitled to something. And therefore, attached to that, and somewhat of the sister of that, the brother of that, is this idea of, of diligence. It, it no longer exists I remember as a young boy, if I signed up for, if I signed up for every sport, baseball, guess what? About three weeks in, I'm like, eh, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I want to come home and play. And dad's like, no, you started it. You're going to what? You're going to finish it. And, and the same was true for anything else that I did. Starting something meant that you have given your word to it. You've signed up for it. You're part of the team. The team needs you. If you don't want to play, then you sit over there and you cheer them on, but you're part of the team. Listen, we live in a world today where diligence has been thrown to the wind and everybody everywhere is so quick to quit, to quit on marriage, to quit on church, to quit on, on, on the word of God, to quit on whatever it may be without thinking there's any ramifications. The Bible says he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek after me. You can't flippantly seek after and serve the Lord, guys. It will destroy you. You're merely half in, and you're not a part of what God is really doing. What I believe you got to do today is you got to be diligent. You got to be committed. There is, listen, look to your neighbor say, don't ever quit on Jesus. Go ahead and tell him that. And then I love 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, and then we're going to jump right in. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Everybody say sanctify. Separate yourself. Listen, as a child of God, you're going to look different. There's just something different about you. Peculiar, if you will. Some of y'all got that angle pretty good. You're peculiar. But sanctify myself means I separate myself and I align myself with the word of God. The world doesn't understand the things of God. When something bad happens and there's still that something in that intestinal fortitude that says, you know what? I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to, it's not just a song, right? It's not just to praise him in the storm as a song only. It should be a mantra. It should be a perspective of my life that even, listen, it's easy to praise him when everything's going great. But what takes somewhere for all is to say, hey, everything's messing up. Everything's falling apart. But you know what? The one constant, the one truth, because the fact is, if it got messed up, God had nothing to do with that. That was man's hands on it. So I'm just going to praise him anyway, because I know that he's about to turn that evil for good. I know that he's about to take me out of this. I know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. So guess what? I'm just going to praise him anyway. Listen to me very carefully. There's nothing in life that can take the place 
of God's living, holy word in your life. Nothing, nothing. No man, no woman, no thing, no drug, no, no amount of money. And that is why in worlds in which it's, it's illegal to hold or occupy the copy, the physical copy of God's word, they're willing to die for it. They're willing to die for that word. I share with you guys, Dr. Benjamin Kokar, who taught me a New Testament survey when I, many, many years ago when I was in Bible college. You remember what I told you about him? He sat there in that first semester. I still get choked up saying this. The first semester that we had, he said, tonight we're going to open the book of Romans. And he opens it up and he said, we're going to read it. And he stands <clears throat> behind this stage, this uh, podium, and he starts reading the word of God. And I'm looking down, I'm like this. I'm like, oh gosh, this is going to be a long four-hour class. And all of a sudden, I saw people just falling down on the floor, started crying. And I looked up and he had moved away from the Bible. He was standing in front of the podium and quoting the book of Romans word for word. 65 people in that room tonight, that night. 65 people who thought they knew what they were about to sign up for fell completely on their face before a holy God as this man began to recite that which he had learned behind the Iron Curtain in Romania because it was illegal to hold a copy of God's word and to be caught with it. So they'd pass around pages and they'd memorize it and hide it in their heart. It was later found out that the guy could quote the entire book of Psalm and the entire Torah and the book of Romans and the book of James, word for word. And you know what I'm, what I'm betting doesn't happen? The enemy's not gonna come at him with a lie because he's standing on the truth. I decided to call this message today, writing your own headlines. You got to write your own story. God has given you the ability and the, and the agency of free will. And that can be the most grotesque thing you ever implore, or it could be one of the greatest things that allows you to rise above the things of this world. I want to give you three things very quickly. I'm going to try to talk fast, but I want you to listen and hear my heart today. Three things that I believe you can change that can help you to write your own discipline and your own headlines. Number one, I believe you need to change your perspective. Why? Because I believe perspective matters. I believe your perspective matters. The way you see something, the way things unfold. How do you today see difficult circumstances, for example? How do you see them? When, when, when bad angles, when bad things begin to unfold, is your first response fear? Or is your first response, hey, God's laying a framework to do something profound in this moment. I remember the first Sunday, the very first Sunday, that we were told we could only have eight people in a building. And I remember we counted. We wanted to be faithful. We wanted to honor, right? And I remember us counting the people that were there, the people that were on the stage, and including me, were eight people in the room. Something was strong, but something was strongly missing. And I remember thinking in my heart that God was about to do something profound in his church in that moment. I remember thinking that before I ever said it. I remember thinking it. And it occurred to me because my, my heart, if you will, my flesh, if you will, threw up this proposition of, oh my gosh, this is going to destroy the church. Nobody's going to give. Nobody's going to come. Nobody's going to be here. They're not going to come back. And be that as it may. I believe that God put his church on the threshing floor 
And I believe God was measuring which one is the faithful church. Hey, you can speak a lot of jargon. You can say a lot of rhetoric. You can do a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't really know who you are in Christ until you're by yourself with him. And you see him for who he is. And you're not doing it for someone else. You're not doing it for a, a position. You're not doing it for a sermon. I don't know who that's for today. I just feel like the Lord put that in my heart. How do you see difficult circumstances? How do you see things that God has laid before you? Because let me tell you something, how you see it determines what you believe. And the moment you begin to speak that over your life is the moment that you begin to trail after that, what you have spoken. That's why he says there's, there's life and death in the power of our tongue. You know, I'm not, I'm not speaking of a word of faith kind of thing where you just say something and it comes into manifestation. I'm talking about where you speak it over your own life. And you begin to hear it. Listen, when you hear your voice say something, make no mistake, you do believe it. And can I tell you who else believes it? Your children believe it. If, 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 if this other variant's coming from Africa, and you say, oh my gosh, here it comes again. Man, this is gonna be worse than the first. I'm gonna tell you something. Your, your kids automatically walk in fear. You know, you know, I mean, find something else to say about it. You know, it, it, it's coming. God is still God. Listen, he's Jesus before that variant. He's Jesus before the pandemic. He'll be Jesus after it. I digress. Let me, let me give you this. Uh, Moses was told by God in, in Numbers chapter 13. He said, I'm giving you this land called Canaan. I, I'm giving it to you. He said that to them. Through Abraham, he said, I'm giving you this land. And, and, and it's interesting because that went right over their head. I've already given it to you. Because that was the kind of a aorist tense. It means it's, it's constantly moving forward, right? I'm giving it to you. In fact, he said, everywhere your foot trods will be your land. And then he said this, he said, send me men to spy out in the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you'll send a man, every one, a leader among them. Listen, when they return, I should say, when they return, they had this, this two distinctive declarations. Same thing, same land, 10, 12 people went together. 10 came back and said this, and, and I think in verse 31 through 33 says, we're not able to go against the people. Speaking of Canaan. For they are stronger than we. They were beat right then. The moment they saw that which God was giving them as something that could not be attained is the very millisecond that they became defeated. Listen, it's true in, it's true in military combat. It's true in sports. You, you ask the running back who is coming through the line of scrimmage and there's a guy equal or greater strength and size and, and proficiency standing in front of him. The moment that he thinks let up is the moment that he's beat. But if he sees him merely as something to run through, then he's beat his opponent. The same is true here for these people. He says, and, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying, listen to what they said. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Listen to what they said. There we saw giants, and we were like grasshoppers. Look at this word here. Don't miss this. We saw giants there, and we were grasshoppers in our own sight. See the perspective? Now look what that, look, that presents. So we were in their sight. 
See, once they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight, then that became the reality for their enemy to see them in the same way. I wonder if that's true today for the enemy. Listen, I'm not, I'm not afraid of him. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. I'm not suggesting you toy with that. I'm not saying play with that. I'm not suggesting that, that, that he is in the least bit fearful of you, but he is fearful of the one who is in you. And, and I think for the fact of this storyline, I see that that's how it plays out. Why? Because let me give you two other people's perspective. Saw the same thing, but maybe in a different light. Over in verse 14, verses six through nine, listen to what he said. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and I, I don't, if that's not right, it doesn't matter because you don't know either. <laughs> who were among those who had spied out in the land, they tore them clothes tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, watch this, listen to the difference. The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. He says, it's fertile. We saw that. Nobody even said that in the first one. If the Lord delights in us, I love that parenthetical, right? Then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which is flowing with milk and honey. Watch this. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Listen to what he says. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. So do not fear them. Uh, look at the part where it says, for they are our bread. That's an interesting metaphor. It kind of contrasts what the headlines of the other 10 would have been. If they were writing a headline, they were saying, hey, land of Canaan, Canaan, it's eating people. It's devouring the inhabitants. Theirs would have said, no, the church goes into Canaan and devours the people. So it's a different perspective, but make no mistake about it. God looked at those who had came with a bad report and he cursed them. And he said, I will make you, as you fight them, as if they are one man. You know what he's saying? I've already given you the war. In fact, we can even read that in Joshua. When Joshua goes over the, um, the Jordan, remember what he said? He sees, this, he sees this guy in full battle attire across the way, standing on a hill alone, sword drawn. And he walks up to him, he says, are you for us? Or are you for them? <laughs> he didn't say anything. He, you know what he said? He just said, I, I'm, I'm the Lord, I'm the head of the Lord's army. It was Jesus Christ. It's a Christophany. We know that because he bowed and worshiped and he led him. When we see them bowing before uh, angels, they don't allow that. They're like, no, you can't do that. Get up. But he led him bow. This was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And, and I love this because he said, are you for them or, or are you for uh, us? You know what he's basically saying? Jesus says, no, I didn't come here to take sides. I came here to take over. All I need you to do is align yourself with me because we're already the victors. I feel like God's still speaking that over us today. Perceptions vastly different determine your next steps. I believe that uh, Goliath was the same way for David. The entire Israel army saw an enemy that they could not defeat. From Saul down to the lowest, saw a man, a giant they couldn't defeat. And yet David stepped in in faith, and saw a target that he couldn't miss. See, it's all a matter of perspective. How do you see difficult moments in your life? Is God as mad at you? 
that they're defaming? Or do you see that God is laying the framework through which he's about to glorify himself through your life? Change our perspective. Secondly, very quickly, we need to understand the truth from a lie. Don't ever accept a headline at face value because they're all filtered through what we've heard recently through fact checkers. Who are they? Okay? And, and, and in addition to that, you've heard things, fake news. Who is fake and who is true? I say to thread everything through the word of God. God sent me here today to tell you, you need to do your own homework. Hey, that's true in the word of God. That's true in the house of God. That's true. Listen, that's why it's super important to be mindful and careful what podcasts you listen to, what preachers you listen to, things that you're allowing to inundate your spirit and your soul because those things absolutely do begin to play into who you are. You need to do your own homework. Temper anything you're told about the word of God through the word of God in your own Bible study. And if it's not true, you have a right to challenge it in the right forum. Call me. Call me and say, hey, I don't believe that. I'll show you where you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. I'll, I'll entertain it. Now listen to this in 2 Timothy. Paul told Timothy, he said, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun, push back from, profane, vain, or idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Listen to this. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, two people that did that, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection had already passed. Watch this. And they overthrow the faith of some. Everybody's not a theologian. Did y'all hear that? Be careful where you're getting your information from. And hey, don't, <clears throat> don't uh, think that your Google search engine is a theological degree. Because you look it up and you want to come at it with some presupposition that you've already determined in your mind and look it up through Google. You can make it look the way you want it to. You can make it bring forth the answer that you want. But let me tell you what happens when you look into the truth of God's word, the perfect law of liberty. He says, when you look into the word, listen, it, it cuts, right? It cuts two ways. It redeems, it releases, it frees, it, it saves. But guess what else it does? It convicts, it calls out non-truths, it reveals. It judges, it condemns. See, and that's what happened. That's why it's a living word is, is, is the guys make their way back up. I want you to hear me today. I believe with all of my heart that if you lim limit your biblical studies to some search engine theology, you're gonna get just all over the place. And that's why there's so much confusion. Let, let me say it this way in clear terms. There are, there are those based upon letters that were written, for example, Corinthians in particular, where it says women are to remain silent. Anybody ever heard that or read that? Okay. You, you'll have an entire denomination that will take that and extrapolate that one truth and they will, they will hang their hat on that. And you go into a church like that where a woman says amen or praise the Lord or heaven forbid she prays or teaches in any capacity, it, it's, it's, it's sacrilege. But I want you to be careful that you not turn that over and understand what he's dealing with. He's dealing with a church problem specifically in Corinth where women were misusing spiritual gifts. They were usurping authority. They were, they were taking a path that God, listen, 
women's liberation aside, let me, let me tell you what God says. God said that there's two reasons that man has been called in the hierarchy of the family to become the stronger vessel. See, for a woman who has a, a fear that, that threads through that, she thinks that that means she's less than or he should think that she is. doesn't mean that at all. In fact, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does that mean? Love her when she's unlovable. Love her when she's cursing you. Love her when she hates you. Love her when she's slapping you on the face, et cetera, et cetera. There's a greater degree of responsibility for that man. Why? Because he was the first created. And then out of him, God took a rib and made woman. It means to be taken out of man. Secondly, because the Bible says the entrance of sin came in the world through Eve. This, the enemy beguiled Eve. It doesn't take the responsibility off man. In fact, you know what the curse of that is? That because of that, that she will strive with her husband all the days of her life. That there's that, that dichotomy that exists between man and woman. When in fact, let me tell you something. And my, my wife, she had to walk out, I guess, with one of the grandbabies. But she'll tell you this. There was a time in our marriage where we did this, Right? But, but let me tell you something. I say this without apology. It wasn't because she couldn't submit. Guys love that. Submit to your own, own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the home, even as Christ the head of the church. But can I tell you something, guys? Your wife will gladly, openly, willingly honor and submit when you begin to love her the way Christ loved the church. You see, he puts that in place. Why? You say, can you prove that? I can. Do you know why you're here today? Because you're submitting to the Lord. Do you know why you submit to him in prayer, in worship, in giving, in, in servitude? You know why? Because he first loved you. He displayed his love to you on the cross that while you were a sinner, he died for you. And I'm just using this one thing. Maybe this is for somebody or somebody's today. Listen, you can't just extrapolate something out of the text and go, that's what I'm gonna build my theology upon. The Bible says you gotta take the whole counsel. That's why sometimes church doesn't feel good. And you walk out of here going, I feel like I got beat up a little bit. Well, that might be because the Holy Spirit was convicting you of something. It can't, you can't just walk in here and go, hey, you know what? If you just, you just speak it and you pull into uh, Walmart today and you just, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to have a parking place at the front door. And that, that thing's just going to open up and part like the Red Sea. You know what? I'll tell you, God can do that. But you know what I believe God will do? God wants to test your faithfulness and your willingness to not take that parking place. Let the one who's coming behind you take it. You park out the back so you can listen to God on your walk into Home Depot. You see, you got to understand. You want to be great in this life. The Bible says, get it. You claim it. You own it. But the Bible says you want to be first, you be last. You want to be great, you make yourself of no effect. You want to be rich, and become poor. And, and he's not, there's, there's a dynamic there that just basically says, you know, God owns the world in the fullness thereof. You don't, you don't just go through life and try to knock people down and left around. Let me tell you something. Go back to the husband and wife. I don't, I don't know what, why God keeps taking me back to this. But I believe there's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and his church that's found in the unit of marriage. It, it should be safe. It should be priority. It should be beautiful and sweet. And the only way that happens is when we align ourselves to God's truth. Just because, and I mean no, you know, no uh, offense here, but just because a group of women back in the 50s and 60s decided that women's liberation said women are equal to men. Let me tell you something, guys. If you don't know this by now, women and men are different. 
completely different. And that's because God created us uniquely different in opposites, if you will, so that when we come together, we become a part, a picture of the church, a complete model of a vessel of honor that God can use. That's not in my notes. I don't know who that was for. What's the antidote to truth? Learn. Look to your neighbor and say, you need to learn the word of God. Go ahead and tell them. And then I'm done. Listen to me. Thirdly, very quick. Use defaming moments to bring about his fame. Shift of, shift of perspective, standing on truth as opposed to what the enemy's lying to you about. Something bad is happening in my life and it feels like it's defaming me. Do you say, God, why are you doing this? Or do you say, all right, God, here I am. Use me to declare your glory. I'm in, I'm all in. So we want a blank check signed from the Lord to whatever we want to cash it in. But I think what really changes our life is when we, we sign the blank check and give it to him and say, God, you write it how you see fit. When I look at the Apostle Paul, writer of nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, church planter, missionary, spoke eight languages fluently. He was a, a partial Roman citizen because of his, his, his heritage. He was a Jew among Jews. He was part of the council that, 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 that defined a lot of the law or carried it out as a gatekeeper to righteousness. But he was Saul of Tarsus before that. He was a murderer of Christians. And on one momentous day, he, drove, he rode his horse into Damascus, Acts chapter nine. And he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, personal encounter. The glory of the Lord knocked him from his horse, caused him to go blind. A few days later, he, he, he went to a man's house who removed, if you will, prayed and he could see and he called him scales from his eyes, fail. And then he could see. And in that moment, listen to me, in that moment was a turnaround. He became all of the things that I mentioned a moment ago, instantaneous. In fact, the church was terrified of this guy. He'd been the one killing them and now he's showing up as a guest preacher. They were freaking out. You would think if anybody could have a, a hope rewarded by God would have been a man of that kind of turnaround. So he said this, he said, God, I, I desire. He said it five times. He said, I desire to go to Rome. He wanted to go so bad because he felt like he would have been received there because of his heritage. Certain privileges came with who he was. And that if he could go into the Roman government and he could preach the gospel, this Jesus Christ who encountered him, changed him, turned him around. He, he thought in his mind, he could, he could turn around the Roman government and then he'd have a stage, a platform to propel the gospel. It wasn't a place of piety. It was just honestly humility to spread the gospel. And as it were, he did go to Rome, but not as a preacher, as a prisoner. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was stoned. Stoned to death, the Bible says, and thrown outside the city or as he were dead. He was shipwrecked twice. When he came in from one of the shipwrecks, he, he put his hand in the, in the fire to, to put a log on and, and, a, and, a, and a snake bit him. And then I love these words. Paul said this, for our light affliction, that's powerful. Those are but light afflictions, he said, which is but for a moment. And those afflictions are working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things of this world are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Say, Mark, what's the possible part of his defaming character? What did it birth? I'll tell you what it birthed. It birthed the book of Colossians in which he wrote from the prison, which told the church to stick in there to fight the fight. And to tell of the supremacy of God in Colossians 1 and 16, that by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. He's speaking of Jesus, the head of the church. He wrote Ephesians where he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. He told us about grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And he talked to the body, which is the theme of Ephesians, the body of Christ, that we should collectively come together. And then he wrote Philippians where he says, hey, if there's a will in you to do of his work, God put it there. And if you're terrified to finish it, being confident of this very thing, who which hath begun to go work in you will also complete it. And he told them to have joy in the occasion of anxiety. Because as he quoted Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord was my strength. See, we wouldn't have those letters. We wouldn't have letters that he wrote in his second prison as he wrote in the days he was waiting for his imminent beheading when he told Timothy, his protege, he said, hey, I finished my fight. I finished my course. I fought the good fight. I'm ready now to be offered as he encourages his young protege. See, taking a defaming moment as the framework to speak of his fame. You say, Mark, but that's the Apostle Paul. That's just so far out of reach. I want to close with this. In 2007, I was a youth pastor in LaGrange, Georgia, serving the Lord, very large church. I got a call from one of my students' mother. It said, my nephew has fallen in a pool. Their pastor's out of town. Can you please meet us at the airport? At that moment, what went through my head was, what had always gone through my head when I get that call. I'm just going to go show up and have a prayer. That's what preachers do. So I kind of jumped in my car rather, rather cavalier, if I may add, and I drove to, to the airport, and there was no parking places in any of the visiting spots. As I walked in, it was like I was walking through a receiving line. There was probably 80, 90 people outside, and I walked in, and I didn't see the family. I didn't see my, my, my student's mother. And there was a line down the wall that entered into a door, the door you don't want to go into when you go to the hospital. The one where the bad news is awaiting. The one where they remove you so that if you are crying, you can do so in private and have a little bit of privacy. I opened the door. As I walked in, there lay Elisa Williams on the floor on her face in a puddle of her own tears, crying like I had never heard a woman cry in my entire life. She was crying out to God. She didn't care who was looking. She didn't care who was watching. And I'm just going to tell you, at that moment, you don't walk in and start quoting scripture. You know, just for God, you know, for God so love the world, just don't work right there. Or, or, or maybe God can turn evil for good. It's not the right moment. I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit nudged me and I got on my knees and saw the husband standing over here weeping and he seemed to okay what I was doing. So I just slid down on my face beside her. And we cried and we prayed. They were still working on Caden. Found out he was two years old. He'd fallen in the pool. And this mother taking all of that defaming failed moment upon herself if she's cried out to God to heal her son. We prayed for probably 45 minutes to an hour. And the other door opened and in walked the doctor. He said, I'm sorry, we've done all we could do. 
I didn't even know what to do with that. I'd never been there. Prayer didn't work. Faith didn't work. Crying out, speaking life didn't work. He died. And if matters weren't worse, then they looked at me and said, will you please take her in to view him? I didn't even know the lady, but her pastor was out of town. Of course I will. I'll spare you that moment. Just, I'll spare you that. It crushed me. I questioned everything I knew. Left the hospital. Her pastor ended up getting there, went to the funeral. The funeral was absolutely extraordinary as they praised and they worshiped the Lord. People were saved. A few years went by. All the while, that's always in my mind. Like, I can't unsee that. Can't unhear that. Fast forward, I got called down to Thomaston to pastor it. it, it Mountain View and the Lord called me to write a sermon about people dealing with difficult things and how they deal with it. So I called Elisa. We've been in touch a little bit over the years, not knowing where she was. And I talked to her. She said, you need to come talk to me. I went to her house. I think Tyler went with me and we videoed a few things. We sat down on her couch and she said, Mark, this destroyed me. It almost destroyed my marriage. She said, I, I died. A part of me died. Until several years later, somebody called me and said, Elise, would you come and teach a women's Bible study in the women's shelter? She said, something inside of her just came alive. She said, I will. Didn't know what she's going to teach. So what she did is like many of us do, she put together a kind of a little, a little package message for, for women. Maybe Ruth or maybe Naomi or maybe Esther or something like that, Right. And she goes in and she starts teaching. I don't know how many women were in there, but there was several. And she looks over several seats back and there's this one woman who is apparently, obviously Muslim, wearing the Muslim attire. And her arms are folded with a grimace on her face as she looks at her in total disgust as she is sharing the word of God. The Holy Spirit nudged her. Says, tell them of Cade. She said, everything in me pushed back. I can't talk about that. I can't relive that. There's no way I can go down that road. Before she could even get that out of her mouth, she began to speak about Cade and that dreadful accident. She lifted up her hands and she says, but I praise the Lord because God is still faithful. God is still on the throne. God is still my savior. And I don't know it yet, but he's working this thing for some good for himself and for his glory. The woman caved because see, she said, Cade would be a, a nine-year-old today had he lived. That woman had a nine-year-old son. There's no way that she could have known that. At the end of the session, the lady come over to her broken, just a, a, a melting pot of emotions. And she said, I do want to know this Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know who it is that's carried you through that because I don't know what I would do. I want to know him. And she gave her life to Jesus right there. She took the defaming, most defaming moment of her life to bring him fame. And if we stopped there, it'd be like, go God. Almost one year to the day, she gets the call she never thought she would have. She called that lady by name. That lady had called her and she said, Elise, she said, yes. She told her who she was. She said, my son has drowned. She said at that moment, it all just came rushing back. But right there in the emotion of the herd and the, 
the anger and the hostility of everything. How could this happen again? The Holy Spirit just intervened once more and said, but I'm working all things. I'm working all things for good. You see, what's really cool, and I, I put this in my book that I wrote, that that little boy is in heaven today because the mother led her son to the Lord. And he's in heaven with Cade because a mama who lost everything realized that everything she lost didn't even mount up closely to her personal relationship with her loving Savior to make him famous. Change your perspective, child of God. Look through the lenses, not of a fact checker, but for the truth of God's word that's absolute. Every head bowed. And every eye closed. How many of you could say, not to me. You're not saying this to me. I just want to usher you into a moment. How many of you could say, Holy Spirit, you spoke to my heart today in some kind of way. I want you to lift your hand up. If the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. Hands are going up. Amen. How many of you could say, Mark, I don't have it all together. I've seen some bad moments. I'm still trying to navigate this thing of faith. But I know that I'm a child of the Most High God. I know that. I'm certain. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I saw that a few hands couldn't go up. Hey, right here in this moment, what if, what if every twist and turn in my life, things falling apart, the hurts, the failures, the missteps, the moments maybe I shouldn't have even lived past, to accept a call to preach, to come back to my hometown, for us to start this church, for me to stand here today, what if everything I went through brought me to this moment to tell you that God loves you and he wants to save you today. Then it would all be worth it, wouldn't it? Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomason.com. 